everyone, welcome to Open House, a property podcast focusing on the job market. I'm Damien Ratcliffe and each week Open House will bring you an expert with experience in this current Geelong market to help you make your next property purchase or sell your next home. And our first ever guest is David Villarosa from Villarosa Real Estate, Geelong's premier boutique real estate agency. And you only have to look at their Instagram page to realise it's quality over quantity. David, welcome to Open House. Thanks, sir. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us on our first ever podcast. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how long you've been in the real estate game for? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, approaching the end of our second year, I say our, it's me at the moment, but uh, the business's second year and my second year in real estate. And uh, we're a digital business. Thanks for looking at our Instagram. Appreciate that. It's, uh, it's a large part of what we do. And uh, and also for reading out one of our taglines there, being <laughs> the premier uh, boutique real estate agency, because that's what we are, it's what we aim to be, and uh, certainly don't want to stray from that. For sure. Well, so were you in real estate ever since you finished high school and that sort of thing? No, no, I you know, have a sort of multi-layered career in starting in IT at uni into operations management, project management, and construction. So. Real estate's been more of a hobby and, and a passion until the last, uh, until two years ago. And I thought I'd make a job of it. Sure. So where did that peak? Just buying your first house or something like that? Or? Uh, yeah, sort of. I just I had some interesting transactions, buying and selling, and always thought that I'd like to have a crack at it. But uh, I knew that I would be different to what I was experiencing in agents and agencies. So I knew I had to do it my way. So I just had to get myself into a position where I thought I knew enough and had enough behind me to, to be able to take that leap. And always from Geelong too? Or? Yeah, grew up in Geelong, sort of did a fair bit to get away from it, just to experience different things, lived overseas and, and interstate for about seven years. But uh, Geelong has always been and probably will always be home. How do you start a real estate agency from scratch? That's a good question. It's everyone told me not to do it, which is a bit of a red flag to a, a bull. For me, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I saw a lot of advice from my financial team. And I say financial team, external, my accountant. They're yep. uh, they're brilliant financial planners, that sort of thing, to make sure that we had the, the right financial backing. To uh, I didn't draw an income from the business for the first year, for example, to uh, to make sure that we had that cash flow. And you know, when you've never done it before, it's hard to get people to be confident in you when you can say I've oh, got zero sales. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I appreciate that people did take that that leap of faith in me but uh, yeah I just I thought about I've got a marketing approach and I felt like I was starting a marketing company more than a real estate business just the the end result was transacting real estate sure so the goal was always to come in and be something different and I guess that marketing aspects what your what your point of difference is yeah I, I believe so I think I, I just haven't I don't know all of the things that a lot of agencies and agents have always done, and that's a real benefit because I, I didn't have to change. I got to fabricate. Well, that sounds like the wrong choice of word, but you know, I got to uh, <laughs> manufacture, your own manufacture it, yeah, in the way that I was comfortable with, and the way that I thought as a consumer, having bought a lot of real estate, that I would like to to deal with. So that's been a luxury, I suppose, to to not have to reinvent a wheel that I've never been on, but. Uh, yeah, it just sort of evolves, and it is evolving every day. We're a very fluid business, and we respond to the demand of our clients who are at the forefront of our business. I go on your website and look at your properties, and it looks like the only 
properties you list are the ones that would flash up on Instagram. Is that the case or? No, absolutely not. You know, it's just naturally evolved that premium property is what we do mainly, but we like to think that we will take an average property and create a premium in that market. Sure. It may not be the best property, but we'll, we'll make it its best when it goes to market to, to make sure we get the best outcome for our clients. And, you know, $10,000 difference on a $400,000 home is, is, can be life-changing for some families, so that's what we try to create. So are you styling or are you encouraging sellers to paint and landscape and that yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. We do anything from, you know, just styling. Some homes that we sell are quite new, so they just need to be styled. Mum and Dad still have the chocolate brown couch from when they met in the <laughs> 90s. For example, that there's a lot of those out there still. So if you've got one, get rid of it before <laughs> you call us in, or we'll tell you to. But uh, yeah, we go from styling to full-on renovations. So on average, our clients spend about thirteen thousand dollars getting their house ready for market. Right. What does a normal week look like for you then? I don't think I have one. Every day is different. Uh, every day is manic to a degree, but I do get to design my day as well. So. I'm a family man above all else, so I get to do the school walk every morning. You beat me to the office here this morning because <laughs> I got stuck on the phone after the, the school run. But uh, I'll be in the office now talking to you more than I have been for the last month. Yeah. Uh, yeah, our business is done in other people's land rooms or, you know, we might be at cafes, that sort of thing. So it's really just, it's everywhere and I love that variety. Sure. Sort of touched on it before, you don't really look at what other people are doing, so you don't go through open houses of the opposition or that sort of thing? No, not well, not without intent. You know, I, I go to the occasional open. If I'm looking to buy or I help a lot of my clients buy, they're okay. just a side service that I provide, especially if they've already sold. We look pretty pretty intently. I went to a couple yesterday. But uh, no, I certainly sort of stick in my lane and don't concern myself with what other people are doing. I see what some of them are doing. If they're having competing properties, for example, I need to know... Know, if we need to change something to be attractive against them, but other than that, I, uh, I couldn't tell you what they're up to. Are you going to auctions and you know comparing if you've got a house that's going for auction that's similar to a house that's for auction this weekend, are you going to have a look? Or? No. 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 Well, for a few reasons. I, I do stick in my lane, but also I don't have time. Yeah. So I spend all of my time servicing my clients and not looking for future clients or worrying what other people are doing. Sure. Do it. Um, I guess most of your houses that you sell are, you know, they're tailored packages. You're deciding what's perfect for each house. Are you, yes. You're recommending auctions over private sales at the moment? No, I'm a big fan of private sale. I think good results can be achieved both ways. Most of my clients would like to sell in one week, not four. Yeah. The lending environment that you'd be aware of has changed dramatically. The clearance rates down. I like to exercise as much control over the campaign as I can. And if I can sell in week one, why wouldn't I? Sure. So how are you putting a value on the house? Are you looking at data during the week and, and getting, do you have, feel like you've got a real grasp now on, on what the market's doing and what a house is worth? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. It's uh, we're obligated to look at comparative sales and mm-hmm. listings. Uh, but ultimately my goal is to think, you know, look at the buyers. I've got a really strong buyer focus. What can I get them to pay? So if we always look back at what everyone else has done, we'd never move forward. Yeah. Sure. What's what are the houses that you recommend go to auction then? If if they're in a high demand pocket, like the Chilwell Primary Zone, for example, if it's a unique property, most of what I do is in New Heighton. There's lots of houses in New Heighton. Sure. Lots of similar houses. There's people aren't scratching up 
to get into them. But if they were, then I would recommend taking a torch. And if I thought that the right creative, or creative competitive environment could be created, yep. then, then that's what I would recommend. Was that something that was happening you know, late last year or middle of last year or back in 2017, less so oh, than I now? Just about everything was selling at auction six months ago. Yeah. And uh, I, I still only had a couple of them and, and they sold well. But my, you know, I'll take private sale most of the time. And a lot of my clients come to me knowing that. Yep. because they're too frightful of the auction experience or they've had a bad experience buying at auction and they don't want to. Yep. So I'm happy to entertain that. So back on the Instagram houses, are there houses that you knock back and say, look, this isn't our brand? Or Absolutely, there's yeah. seven this year today. This calendar seven year. you've knocked back? Yes. Yep. Yep. So I, I firmly believe that there's, there's different agents, agencies out there, there's different vendors out there and there's a place for all of us. We don't have to be the same and we shouldn't. Yep. And if I meet somebody that's not the right fit for me, I'm happy to tell them that. Because yep. uh, it's better to know that before you get into a relationship with them than to when you're halfway down the track and it's not working out. How do they take that generally? Some of them not that well, but sometimes it's that conversation that makes them, that gets them on board to think, okay, I'm engaging you for your experience, I should start listening to it. So some people have really strong opinions and I encourage that. But ultimately, if you're going to pay a professional for their advice, you should take it. Are there suburbs you're seeing doing really well right now? I think a lot of the, the fringe suburbs, like just from an affordability perspective, is, you know, that's where they're probably, the, I don't do a lot in those markets, but when I do, it's quite easy work just because more people have 500,000 than 1.5 million, for example. So, so the Grovedales, Belmont potentially, or? Yeah, Belmont's. Is an interesting one actually. It had such a good run and got out of reach for so many, but there's still some good buying in there. Yep. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting market, as you'd be aware. Yeah, for sure. As far as um, can you talk us through your marketing strategy at all? Oh, I can to a degree. Yeah, I prefer to talk to my vendors directly about yep. that. But we are a digital business. We have an office front, but it's it's really just to show that we're an established business. Uh, we, we do everything digitally. It's a layered approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but we, it, it is tried and tested, and we're constantly reviewing it using new data from external sources and leveraging off that, retargeting, and you know, it's it's quite exciting how you can digitally stalk people. And some people actually say to me, "I'm sick of seeing your stuff on Facebook." I say, "Well, <laughs> thanks. At least I know you're seeing it." Yeah. Because my clients collectively pay a lot of money for that, and that's what we aim to do, to put it in front of them constantly. We know we can't do that in print, for example. If I can't make someone pick up a GT magazine every day, yep. and there is a place for, for print media without a doubt, but I know digitally that I can, the data tells me that someone's seen it six times, yep. and they've clicked on it three times, and it's, it's exciting what we can do with that. For sure. One thing that probably annoys me with uh, your Instagram page is you post this beautiful photo and there's not a link so you're like, well, I've got to go to the website and try and find it. Is that a, is that a tactic or? It is, absolutely. I want, I want people to contact me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about giving them something to get them to engage because that's the hardest part. So it's, hopefully that doesn't annoy you too much and it does, we'll perhaps talk about it when we're uh, finished up here because yeah. I do value your feedback and the user experience is very important to me. Sure. But uh, a lot of this marketing is about creating engagement with buyers and vendors Obviously, we want future business, but yep. uh, really, the aim of that Instagram is to to get buyer engagement. I think I'm right in saying too that 
you will go to a homeowner that doesn't have their house on the market and say, listen, I've, I've got three or four buyers that missed out on one on the weekend. Are, are you looking to sell it all because you know, we can get you a good result? Am I right in that? Yeah, yes and no. I won't door knock. Like, yeah. Unless one of my clients or a, a, a buyer that I know has actually said, can you go to this property for me? Other than that, I don't approach people cold. Sure. But if I've talked to people during the year who said that we might sell, if you've got a buyer for us, let us know. And I've got a really good handful of those at the moment and have sold a few successfully off market where, it, again, I've got a buyer focus. So if I work with a buyer for long enough, I can think, you know what, I reckon this property will suit them. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Sure. But when it does, it's great. Sure. Because, you know, no open for inspections, no marketing, no one knows. And a lot of my clients are private. They quite enjoy that. And many houses that you sell that don't even get up on your website and Instagram? They all get up there afterwards. Okay. okay. But, you know, I have a late approach with the Instagram. There'll be like a selling soon to, to show people a bit of a teaser, so to speak, and then the actual launch of the property. And then, we'll, you know, we'll have something about its sale typically afterwards as well. But, yeah, there's only been a handful, not even a handful, probably three, that nobody knows anything about. Sure. That's the client's request, and I respect that. So. Yeah. Are there more houses on the market now than there were last year, or they're just less buyers, or both? Both, yeah. So that's you know, supply and demand is really important. Economics is something I'm quite interested in, and I had a very successful winter. In fact, more successful than my spring. Yeah. Because I encourage all my clients to to sell when no one else was, because I think that's when you can create a good environment to sell. So when there's more listings now, less buyers or less active buyers perhaps, it, uh, it is you know, creating a buyer's market. There was a real fear of buyers missing out last year, wasn't there? It's like, oh. oh, the market's going crazy, I've got to get in and buy a house. And like you said, you encourage sellers to sell in winter where there's less houses on the market and you got more people competing for the you know, least amount of houses on the market. Yeah, that's right. So that was, you know, that was really successful for us. Uh, and now it's the reverse. I think there's a good number of people selling for fear of missing out on the buyers. Yeah. And, you know, I think urgency is required to, to create a good outcome, but I'd rather create that urgency on behalf of my vendor than if it's the buyers creating it. Because, yep. you know, if they're the only ones that are urgent, then uh, if the vendor's urgent, then it's probably not going to be a good outcome. So basically from the seller's point of view then, you see that the houses that are, that have that buyer appeal and are at that top end, they're always going to sell well and, and get that demand right now. Whereas those average, same might say, or the, the houses that are, you know, you can pick up anywhere, they might underperform right now. Correct. Yeah, I think the with the lending environment that most of the people I'm selling for and to are protected from that. So around the, the 1.2, 1.3 million is still quite steady for me. The, the bottom end or the first home buyer's market is still quite steady because mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's quite good grants that they're getting. Some of the new small properties, they're not paying stamp beauty, they're getting a grant. So, you know, it's a, it's a good lead that they're getting there. Whereas everything in the middle is, it's, it's the hard part at the moment, around the 800,000 for me. Sure. Anyway, and the homes that I sell. So, because so that's, people are either willing to spend that bit less in this market or willing to save a bit more to, buy upper end or yeah or they they may not have the capacity that the bank told them they had 12 months ago sure. or six months ago even or they may have had a baby and they're like oh well, now we can't actually extend ourselves to that 800 and they're they're no longer fearful that 
I better get that 800,000 house before it becomes a 900,000 house. Now, the, the dialogue that I'm hearing from buyers, and in fact, Melbourne people are sending me links to news.com.au articles, mm. which is from, you know, to try and, if I've got a 900,000 property, I'm looking up for 800,000, I'll say, yep. because this article says <laughs> that the market's going to drop by 40%, which I can just thank them for their time and move on. Yeah. I won't let the buyers dictate to us what, what we're doing. But that's what's happening. So I think there's the inability to get finance. There's the fear of the market dropping, that's contributing to that softening. And for me, in that in that part, yeah, because what's happening in Melbourne isn't necessarily what's happening in Geelong, and necessarily what's happening in Geelong West isn't what what's happening in East Geelong or what's happening in Belmont or happening in Heighton. Absolutely, you know, Heighton and Belmont. There's there's probably four Heightons, four Belmonts. There's yeah. separated into different zones that. You know, Invisible lines, of course, but some parts are in really high demand and you know, two streets away, mm. no one wants it. Yeah. So it's, you know, anyone that draws links between Melbourne and Sydney and Geelong is just, you know, it's madness. Well, Belmont's a good example too, because if you've got a house that's north side of Settlement Road and walking distance to High Street, that's a lot different to south side of Settlement Road, which is really Grover. But, yeah, absolutely. But the suburb might be Belmont, yeah. um, so it's a, a lot different. There's markets within markets, really, isn't it? Hundred percent. And there's, and again, don't come back to understanding and focusing on the buyers. For me, that a lot of people don't want to live on a busy road like Roslyn Road, mm. but an aging population have to live there because they can walk on flat ground to the high street shops in Belmont. So understanding who's buying what, when, and where, and for what reasons is really important. Because if you just look at a different market or a different buyer. They can, they can have a very different opinion on the product. So understanding that's critical. Sure. Are you an active investor as well? I don't want to go too far into your private life. But oh, that's okay. Time. I'm an open book. But yeah. uh, I, would, I wouldn't, I'm reasonably inactive at the moment. I, uh, I had to liquidate a few assets to start the business. And uh, yeah. we, we still have a, a handful of properties, but I'm not really focused on that for the time being. And... You know, probably not a bad thing if I had bought a couple of few years ago, I would have been happy. Yeah. But uh, no, not that active. Any mistakes you've made along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I learned from those. I bought property in Western Australia that I could have sold within a couple of months. I lived over there in the in the great boom they had. Yeah. And then, but I, you know, greed kicks in. You hang on to it for a bit longer, and I ended up selling it for what you know, three years later for what I could have sold it for prior. And holding costs, I probably went backwards there. Yeah. But. That's all part of it. I'd rather make those mistakes early and learn from them. But uh, yeah, no, nothing major. What about off the plan properties? Are, are you recommending or not so much as far as buyers at the moment? Yeah, I, I'm not a massive fan of off the plan. I, I firmly believe, and that's why we stage a lot of properties, that I like to create an experience for people. They never forget how they feel when they walk into a property. So, oh, I really want to create that, and it's very hard to do that in drawings. Even if you've got beautiful 3D renders, yep. people will never feel the same as they do when they walk into a, a beautifully staged home and a high-end home. So I do think that better outcomes from a vendor's perspective, better, better outcomes will be had when it's finished. Yep. Uh, but you know, they, they do enjoy the confidence, the, the vendor as well, of knowing that there's essentially money in the bank if they've sold a few off the plan. So. Sure. Um, there's probably better value for a buyer buying off the plan. But as much as I have a buyer focus, I want to get the best outcome for my vendor. Sure. So 
if they can hold off on their developments and, and finish them, then that's what I recommend. Sure. So what are you recommending? What what advice would you give to a seller in this market? Right now? When it, as you said, probably a buyer's market right now. Yeah, it is to a degree. I think it's... Uh, if you've got to sell, you've got to sell, right? Well, if you do have to sell, yeah. I think it's just the reality check. It's that a lot of people will do their own appraisals, I find. Like, it, most people I meet, they'll, they'll sort of poke around and say, oh, I don't know what's going on. But then when, as the conversation develops, you know that they've been, been keeping a clear eye on the market. And people get very emotional about their own homes. They love them, and that's great, because I try to draw off that to create that experience for the, the buyers when we go to market. But I think a lot of vendors have got to understand that they need to remove that emotion and stop thinking their property is the best in the suburb. Yeah. It may be, but it may not be. So it's just be realistic and, you know, there's the whole... I do meet some people that, oh, well, let's just have a crack at this and if it doesn't work, we'll reduce the price. I think that's a really bad approach. Sure. Because you'd better to go for the right price and be confident about that than to be wishful. And it's... Uh, yeah, but every property is different as well, so it's hard to... I suppose summarise that response. Yeah, if you go if you're advertising too high, you're going to get people to say, "Well, that's that's going to be out of my price range. I'm not going to look at it." We well, really get people at the door. Yeah, that's the hardest part, and it's and it's finding that pricing a property correctly to make sure that you're attracting enough people and mm-hmm. the right people, but you know, not leaving money on the table, and, and it's a hard job. Yeah, because you're trying to predict what someone else will do with their money. At a certain point in time, you know the market seems to change overnight into a buyer's market, and it is you know we are again predicting other people's behaviour. So we've we've got to create that right environment, or you, know, you can't negotiate up or down with no one. Yeah. What advice are you giving to buyers at the moment? Be picky and you know. Uh, to a degree, I think uh, most of the people I'm helping buy, you know. Presenting an unconditional offer when you're buying is king in this environment because everyone knows that the finance issues are everywhere and if, it, if your offer is completely unconditional, if you're going to do a building inspection, do it before you go into a contract so that you can give the cleanest offer that you can. You'll have a sharper pencil when you do that. It's a far more attractive to a vendor. So, you know, some people take that the wrong way and reduce their offer by $100,000. It's not that good. It may be for some, yep. but uh, yeah, presenting the, the cleanest offer with the, the best terms in favour of the vendor, mm. providing it's not impacting on yourself in a negative way, is what I recommend. Yeah, and you can offer a sub. You can offer obviously unconditional and still have that three day cooling off period to get your building and pesting done. But yeah, you can. Yeah, um, I think uh, yeah, there's ways to navigate around that on behalf of the vendor as well. I'm always trying to protect my vendor, so. If it's going to be subject to a building and pest, then I don't want them to exercise their cooling off. In fact, I'd, the building and pest would be on day four. Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because otherwise, just do it first. When it, stop wasting your month's time with the with the contract yeah. and having to pay any sort of deposit. So. Yeah. So if someone's putting in an offer subject to finance, you're generally saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't accept this offer because there's a chance in this market that they're not going to get the finance or... Oh, yeah, I vet people, uh, you know, as far as they'll let me. I like to see pre-approvals yep. um, in writing and a, a formal approval, not just a, a, an email or a text from their broker. Yeah. 
I actually take a broker to every one of my open homes uh, so that if people don't have finance, I can introduce them to that broker. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I ask for their permission to be able to speak freely with the broker and we get a really good sort of circular loop happening where we, everyone knows what's going on. And then I can give my client the best advice as to the risk of them getting or not getting finance. And, and if I perceive the risk to be high, then it would be my recommendation not to enter into a contract. Houses on, uh, sorry, days on market, is that growing from last year? Or yeah, absolutely. Last year? Yeah, there was a couple of months where my average was four days. Right. Uh, which was never going to be sustainable, but it was pretty exciting. For was it four days online or? Four days on market, yeah. Yeah, but as far as did you get it up online on, on day one and people are seeing it online or are you yeah, pretty so much going up and buying and saying, I've got this, come have a look? Yeah, I typically list properties on Wednesday. Right. And they would sell on a Saturday. There's a tip for buyers. Check Sorry? Out. There's a tip for the buyers. Check out our Villa Rosa website on a Wednesday. Yeah, typically. That's right. So uh, that we are refining that model now that we, our digital approach changes frequently and we're constantly trying to be different as well, not just for the sake of but we don't want to be doing the same as everyone else. We never have one to do. And I have found that we're all starting to, in some ways, from a digital approach, look similar. So that's changing and you'll start to see some new content coming out. Well, you will because you look at our Insta. Yeah. So uh, you'll start to see some new content coming out in the next few weeks. Sure. You obviously do a little bit in the rental game too. Anything, any observations making there? Or? No, we don't do rentals. Oh, not doing rentals? No, no, I think the website allows for it. We don't do okay. rentals. So I don't have a passion for it. I, I think it would be good for the business in terms of exposure and, you know, having, if you've got 100 rental properties and you might get five sales from those for example but I just I'm in this because of my love for selling real estate so I just don't have the passion for the rentals and if we go into rentals it'll be because I bring on a partner who manages that part of the business are you helping investors and owner occupiers at the moment or yeah absolutely yeah it's uh, I'll help anyone yeah are there less investors in the market now than there were last year or uh, I'm probably not the best person to answer that because I don't sell a lot of investment properties. Yep. Uh, but I certainly help uh, investors buy other agent properties. Yep. So a lot of the houses you're selling are for people to live in, own occupiers? Almost all of them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, only a handful of rentals that I've sold. All right. Yeah. What uh, properties from Villa Rosa should we go check out this Saturday? I think nine stonely Crescent in Heighton, if you've got a... Yeah, uh, the 1.6 mark. Yeah, I actually thought you might buy it, but it's uh, <laughs> Port elsewhere, so congratulations on that. But Thanks, nine stonely Crescent is phenomenal. It's it's irreplaceable at that spend. It's still, it's big money in that area, but uh, anyone that knows their construction and the, and the cost of it should come and have a look. And if, if they want a wow factor, you know, you've got up to 6.6 metre ceilings, 256 cubic metres of concrete underfoot, like so much steel that... It's just phenomenal scale. It's got a pool. It's in a great spot. And um, if, if, if you're at the other end of the scale, perhaps 138 Grantham Drive, Heighton is a really beautiful little family home, four bed, two bath, two living on 770 square metres with a flat backyard. So it's two very different properties, but uh, both really appealing. And I'm surprised both of them are still available. For sure. If you're looking to sell your home or, or buy an Instagram worthy home, I know. My girlfriend uh, would like to find Instagram at <laughs> Probably has anyway. Um, visit villarosa.re.com.au. Thanks for your time. No worries, thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Open House. We've got more coming your way, so check us out on Instagram, at Open House Podcast, and on Facebook. And please remember, all advice is general in nature. If you are looking to purchase a home or sell a home, please seek professional advice.